So welcome back to the AEC Hive podcast. I'm Ralph Montague. I'm a director of Dark Ducks. I'm joined by John Egan, co-founder of AEC Hive and director of BIM Launcher. John, do you want to introduce yourself and say hi to everybody? Hi, everyone. Delighted to be back with uh, an, old, an old friend to discuss some innovation for construction industries. We're in Scotland today, um, the country of inv- inventions, everything from the steam train to the t- telephone. We're very pleased to have Ryan Tennyson from Scottish Futures Trust with us. Uh, Ryan, you, you're very welcome and appreciate your time. Do you want to give us a brief introduction about yourself and what you're doing? Hi, everyone. Um, and thanks, guys, for, for asking me to be uh, here today. And yeah, hi from sunny Scotland, um, <laughs> which, is, which is great to have such good weather at the moment. No pressure in terms of historic inventions and living up to that. Um, but I'll show you, tell you some of the good work that we're doing at the moment within SFT and just more generally. Yeah, a bit about myself, really. My uh, background is architecture. Um, um, I love architecture. My uh, sort of, professionally, I'm an architectural technologist. Um, so a proud member of the CIAT for many years. I guess from going from architecture to where I am today has been not a planned journey like most people in our industry sort of fell into sort of certain rules along the way. Um, but most of it has, has been sort of born out of frustration. So sort of going back a good maybe 10 years ago, I was running projects and delivering schools in, within um, Scotland and really um, was very frustrated um, about the sort of the whole delivery process um, and how the the issues and collaboration and all that sort of good stuff, how there was obstacles in that. And really, it was just pre-last recession and really started to move and focus more on design management with a view of maybe moving into that as a career change. So during the last recession, I, I undertook a master's in design management and really through that fell into BIM. It was sort of in around 2011 when the UK government was sort of launching what they were doing with the UK BIM task group. And yeah, so I started to really think about how projects are delivered, design management, and really where, where BIM sat in the context of that. Back then, I was reading a lot with the likes of John Enan, um, the design and management handbook. There was a guy called Stephen Emmett who was doing a lot of work around design management and collaboration. And I wrote a dissertation in 2012, which was entitled, Is BIM the Panacea for the UK Construction Industry? And that was really even before the UK BIM task group and the mandate had been launched. Really what that was exploring was, is BIM... First of all, what is it is that in terms of a definition? And is it is it really going to solve the sort of the historical problems that we have in our industry? The likes of Egan and Latham had identified in their reports way back in the 90s. And, and is, is BIM going to solve that? So um, what was the conclusion of your dissertation? Is it the, <laughs> the, the panacea? Is it the answer to our problems? Yeah, it was a bit of a crystal ball back then. And I, I did carry out some industry research and from memory, when you Googled BIM back then, it was just white papers on the internet, mainly. A lot of technology and obviously Revit, Autodesk were out and about then doing stuff. So I had to really undertake a survey and try and through LinkedIn, zone in on certain groups that were starting to come up through the ranks and be active and really just test the water in that respect. Um, and then understand that in the context of what good design management is. The the conclusion was that BIM wasn't the panacea, obviously, um, but BIM, whatever it was, whether it was process or technology, was certainly an enabler. But there was also a risk um, that I discovered back then that potentially there was a, a negativity to it in the context that it, it that it could actually create a two-tier industry where a part of industry could be left behind and a chunk of industry would go forward. Um, so that's, I guess, an, 
I haven't really thought about it much since I came to those conclusions. And in fact, I did spend part of yesterday trying to go through boxes <laughs> that I had packed up a year ago when I moved house to, to try and find my dissertation and also get a digital copy to, to reread my conclusions. But um, certainly some of the stuff that was felt at industry at the time has became true and is still the case in, in my view. Yeah. yeah, and it would seem that a sort of two-tier industry has has almost emerged, you know, those companies who, who, who work in a digital process and those who continue to pursue paper-based processes. But tell us a little bit about um, the Scottish Futures Trust and w- what it is and, and what your role is in that regard. Sure, sure. So I moved to Scottish Futures Trust just over a year ago. Prior to that, I'd been a sort of BIM consultant in the UK for five plus years. It was a move I wanted to make for various reasons, which we might touch on over the course of our conversation today. I had worked with Scottish Futures Trust on and off through my BIM consultancy work and also had supported their BIM delivery plan, which they had launched as well three or four years ago, uh, leading BIM in Scotland for Scottish Government. But when I joined a year ago and moving into public sector, it was it was definitely a shift for me. And it has taken me maybe a bit of a while to adjust to how public sector operates and, you know, and some of the complexities and challenges which they face from a client's perspective in terms of how they, they deliver and projects and also manage existing assets. But SFT as uh, an organisation is some people, particularly in our circles, know SFT through the work they've done around BIM Level 2 within Scotland, but it's quite it's quite a big organisation. Over 70 plus people, sort of quite high level professionals work within it, and they really deliver infrastructure for the Scottish Government, and, and that covers all sorts of things in terms of energy, uh, 4G, 5G networks, new housing, and also all new sort of schools, hospitals, do all the various hubs have been set up. Yeah, they're really there as as a delivery vehicle, but also in terms of the work that they do in providing good practice and and guidelines and you know better ways of working for for both the public sector and obviously for the private sector and in, in, in delivering that. So I mean, just maybe for the listeners that don't know the Scottish Futures Trust, is it that they sit above the procuring authorities like the Department of Transport, Department of Education, etc., and support the procuring authorities, or is Scottish Futures Trust a procuring authority in itself? Um, well, it's obviously Scotland's devolved government. It's not so much things like Department of Education, Department of Transport per se. Obviously, there's likes of Scottish Water. For example, at the moment, there's a new um, one billion pound schools program. So yeah, new schools are delivered essentially through sort of programs, um, of which local authorities are the contracting authority on, the, on those. Um, and in terms of SFT and their role, they, they sort of help deliver that, well, they set up and deliver the programme on behalf of Scottish Government and working with local authorities to achieve that through various routes and procurement routes um, and delivery mechanisms. So they, they definitely are, a, they're supporting and both also an operating arm to deliver in sort of new infrastructure within, within Scotland. And obviously the likes of NHS Scotland supporting them and what they're doing in terms of their own sort of digital estates and digital construction sort of project delivery side of things. That's really interesting. And, you know, I suppose when you think of procurement and government procurement and all the legislation that controls that, people might think that, you know, within that environment, how can you see innovation growing, you know, where things are so tightly regulated and controlled and what view of innovation and bringing innovation to the market would, would uh, SFT and, and your colleagues have within that sort of procurement environment? With, I guess, um, delivering programs, 
that the opportunity exists to bring together supply chains and best practice. And obviously through that, you get consistency, standardized approach of how perhaps things are designed or delivered. Within that context, you can also, there's an opportunity for better collaboration, knowledge sharing, and through that, I guess, you know, innovation as well. There's touch points within that. So, for example, the schools program, there would be certain requirements that each school would need to achieve, whether it's an energy target or adoption of BIM, as an example. So there's opportunities for innovation to happen in, in, in those sort of touch points through early engagement with the supply chain as well and bringing in uh, people who are working within that sort of field to, to provide early input into that, how the designs or the project delivery, et cetera, et cetera, can evolve. I suppose, um, and that's interesting about program, you know, delivery programs, because obviously, I mean, I'm sure you have a similar problem in Scotland than we have in Ireland, is that we, we're almost unable to deliver the infrastructure that we need, even though we would consider ourselves a, a first world country. We, we're struggling to deliver housing, we're struggling to deliver the schools we need, the healthcare facilities, you know, which are under in, increasing pressure now, and all, all the other infrastructure. I mean, are you having similar problems in Scotland with that the delivery of building infrastructure is just too expensive, too slow? Too cumbersome, or are you meeting all your needs? Well, there's 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 always challenges. There's always need, isn't there? And there's never enough money to go around and deliver everything. So, as an example, one of the initiatives, which obviously I don't know if you are aware, but the Scottish government have set themselves quite a, a sort of early target to achieve zero carbon on projects. I think it's a few years earlier, maybe even than the rest of the UK. So, obviously, there's many different contributors to that at a society level. But one aspect of that is obviously new infrastructure and project delivery, but also another part of that is looking at the existing estates and can we better manage and understand how we operate our existing estates and reduce carbon that way. So in terms of provision and having enough enough projects to sustain what is required, there's also the opportunity of looking at our existing estates and existing infrastructure and how can we better operate and manage those more efficiently to, one, reduce carbon and be more efficient uh, in terms of performance, etc. So it's also yeah, looking at from that, that perspective that we're not just constantly building new schools and new hospitals, but can we can we better deliver what we need for society, looking at both both sides of it, both the new and the old. Those are the big challenges, aren't they? Because, you, as you say, there's there's finite resources in terms of budgets, but then you have increasing needs. So we've got to look at doing things quicker and cheaper. You know, but at the same time, you don't want to do that by diminishing the quality of buildings because they've got to meet these high performance standards in terms of energy, etc. So, you know, just the way we build, we need to become more sustainable in, in the use of materials and resources. So, so big challenges, I suppose, and it's an industry that really needs innovation and because one of the reasons John and I sort of set up this group is to um, to start talking more about innovation because traditionally the construction sector hasn't invested a lot of time into and money into R&D so it's you know it's a very small percentage time and effort goes into formal R&D I suppose there is there's always innovation and research happening on projects but uh, often that the outcomes of that research are sort of locked in that project and don't uh, get distributed you know, across the sector. I mean, does the SFT have a role in that regard in that you're working with many different local authorities and procuring authorities and somehow you can get the lessons learned from a, a broad group of projects and bring that together and feed it back to providers? Yeah, yeah, I mean, as a, through delivering programs, you've got that opportunity, haven't you, that you can bring together local authorities as contracting authorities to to really obviously not every 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 local authority or 
public sector organization have got different needs and there's different contexts and et cetera, et cetera. So not every solution is not is, is going to fit everybody's uh, requirements per se. But yeah, in terms of best practice and approach and also how how you design and construct and deliver projects also sustains sort of local and, and regional SMEs in terms of services and, 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 and supporting local businesses as well. So it's yeah, it's that sort of whole life cycle approach, isn't it? But also sustaining um, the socioeconomic side of it that there's that the approach that you, you take and you can you cascade that across that it's got exponential benefits beyond just the project itself. So yeah, but in addition to that, there there is we do have that opportunity to capture lessons learned and feed that back in. And just a lot of the work that um, some of the work that I was doing in my first year was also was just to, to to capture some of the best practice which is out there, not just BIM per se, but also just more around uh, technology within the construction sector and and creating some case studies for that, which which we have we host on a on a on on the new infrastructure technology navigator, which is which is worth going to have a look at if if you haven't seen it already, because it it's really yeah. it, it's there as a resource to support public sector and more broadly uh, industry to. To really look at how technology can be, be an enabler, as opposed to just being picking it as a solution, and how it supports all the other bits uh, that you want to achieve in terms of your objectives or what benefits you want to achieve through technology. Yeah, sorry, Ryan. What was the name of that platform? Uh, um, it's Infrastructure uh, Technology Navigator, Infratech Navigator. Yeah, if you just Google that. Um, okay, and is this a publicly available tool yeah yeah it's a free to use tool it looks at obviously people processes the benefits um and and there's a range a good range of of benefits that you can identify and then you can sort of look at the stage that you want those benefits to be realized and you can then sort of ship that around in terms of what the technology solutions are to attain that benefit so it's it's a resource that said it's free to use there's also within it sort of scopes of service best practice of how you would achieve that and the idea is that we, we expand that going forward and and obviously build the case studies around that to show how those benefits are, are being realized so who would be the user or the customer to this platform? Uh, I mean, it's been primarily been set up to support public sector clients within Scotland, but equally um, it's there just for everybody to use, as is all the sort of resources yeah. that are on the SFT portal. Uh, you know, SFT's role is about supporting public sector and getting best value for both client and government, but also it's there to support industry in achieving that. I think it's Great. one of the so- marked differences between, you know, just looking at at the UK and Scotland, you know, a lot of effort has been put in to develop those tools, you know, the, the BIM level to support industry, um, you know, understanding that predominantly the industry's SMEs that won't have the uh, ability to do those things. Whereas if you look at the UK or England, you know, they've kind of said, look, you have to do this, but they didn't really give industry much in terms of a set of tools to, to work with. So it's been a, you know, it's just been a marked difference between those two jurisdictions, I think. Yeah, I think I think the focus is on from the outside. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the focus. I think um, obviously a lot of that good work was done before I joined SFT. Um, but um, I, I was aware of of it when it was being developed. Um, I was working quite. Um, as I said, I've been working with SFT in and in and out on, on a couple of different uh, sort of smaller projects. And it's it's it was it was it was it was a good sort of it's, it is a good resource for clients, as I said, to go in and really understand. I guess yeah. It, it's about how how you sell sell it to um, I guess that level within 
public sector and just even generally within private sector, how you, how you sell the, what you're trying to do, um, whether it's BIM or introducing a new technology or a process at that boardroom level, the, the people who are making those decisions and maybe don't really want to get into the nitty gritty or technical detail. They just want to know what is it, what, what am I going to get out of it and what are the benefits and, um, how much is it going to cost me <laughs> as well? Mm-hmm. So th- a lot of the tools that Paul had, had, had within SAT had developed was very much focusing around the benefits and being able to make it an easy entry for clients to go in and really input what they need and really get some sort of output in terms of what they should be focusing on or what sh- they should be asking for from the supply chain. Or do they even need to take a st- dive into the deep end of BIM level two? But is there more of a an incremental approach to it depending on the type of project, scale of project, et cetera, where uh, the old sort of BIM level one setup were just getting good naming conventions, getting a good sort of uh, folder structure or common data environment in place, you know, the, the bedrock of, of good standardized um, and structured information delivery. That then would allow you to springboard into into, into better collaboration and, and the realization of BIM level two, which is obviously now ISO 19650 and, and sort of good good digital information management. The other thing that I find quite impressive about Scotland is the construction innovation centre focused purely on looking at innovations within construction sector. Is there any link between SFT and the construction innovation centre? Yeah, so there, there's no direct link in terms of how it's set up, and uh, but there, there is a, a linkage in terms of how how, how we collaborate. With each other, the innovation centre in its in its own as a, in its own entity is is set up to look at there's opportunities for innovation um, within this the, um, the the supply side of, of industry and also how they can then link up with academic partners to really create those solutions that then can be yeah obviously shared around um, the 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 wider industry off the back of that. So and in addition to that, they're obviously looking at other things such as offsite manufacturer uh, there's a quite an amazing factory that's set up that you can go in and you can do prototyping 3d printing or whatever um to 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 at an sme level you could really go in with a good idea get some funding and and start to to prototype something up or a proof of concept so yeah it's an excellent resource and um yeah and, and the fact that you have that academic link as well you, you can start to pull in some of the the research which is going on around you obviously obviously various universities within scotland and using that to either inform or to validate whatever it is you're doing and, and, yeah. and obviously trying to make sure you've got a, a product which is our solution which is obviously scalable and can be used by others so it's, it's, a, it's an excellent resource which is available for for the construction sector yeah. and so given what your career like you've been at the cutting edge i suppose of technologies even with your work now is what you're saying with sft or really pushing the boundaries in terms of procurement and working with the local authorities etc you've also ran a few hackathons so you're obviously a person who likes to explore and innovation and uh, tell us a little bit about your your hackathon group and what that yeah, so when I was a consultant and working sort of up and down, spending my time between London and Edinburgh in the private sector. Um, and when I, when I was in Edinburgh, I shared, shared a desk in an office uh, with Darren Lester uh, from Specified By. He, he At that time, he had got an office. And the two of us used to just sort of chat afterwards over a beer sometimes on a Friday and really chew the fat in terms of 
industry, what was happening, what were the block blockers. And yeah, so there was all sorts of discussion around interoperability, the big sort of software giants who were operating within our industry and really then more broadly about innovation and how you can bring, well, how, how you can start to maybe unearth different ways uh, you, of, 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 I, I describe them as, as gold nuggets of innovation. How, how, how do you find those that are not through normal practice or coming out of maybe some of the big consultants or tier ones? And it was also just explore the approach where we could look beyond our own industry and almost cross-fertilize and engage with other industries. Now, this is probably going back maybe three, four years ago, and our industry has dramatically, dramatically changed since then. And it is a lot more fluid in terms of in my view, in terms of bringing in new technologies that are have have um, developed in other industries, but it was yeah, I was just thinking beyond the norm and creating a space really where people could come in from different sectors over the course of a weekend and really debrand themselves and take themselves out of their professional contexts and relax and just really explore. Um, and whether it was a set challenge, whether they stuck to that, but really yeah, it was just about exploring within. Um, a different setting with different people and what we found was that it was quite surprising um, the first one we held was in Glasgow and it was supported by Innovate UK uh, the Innovation Centre we also had Flux BIM Launcher was coming up I think as well to that John <laughs> yeah we were there you recall something else before BIM Launcher I think Jenka uh, yeah Jenka um, so yeah I mean it was just it was just a it was amazing to see the or to feel the energy and to see what came out of that. Um, and what you got really were heating engineers or structural engineers who were in their late 40s, early 50s, and they were sitting down and um, engaging with young coders and data scientists who were just either in university or coming out of the university um, or who were finding their way within our industry. And really, yeah, just just engaging and come up with some really amazing stuff. So everybody, um, by the time it came to a Sunday evening, was felt really rewarded just looking to know when the next one was and it was passionate you know um and and everyone yeah got so much out of it so we we done the first one as a trial it was quite hard work we organized it ourselves we organized the catering set it all up so it was really tiring um but from from that point on we we tried to explore how we we could maybe expand that into industry so we started to talk to some of the professional institutes and it was through the .be group which I was also part of we got to talk with a guy called Bobby Chakravarti who was also in the .be group was also at the time president of APS and he wanted to do a hackathon around health and safety and that was just around the time the part six came out and um, so we we done another hackathon on digital construction and health and safety in Manchester which was again um, over a weekend and was was really rewarding and more recently we done a, a joint APS and Institute of Engineering Technology, IIT, hackathon, which looked at the Hackett report, fire safety, and trying to find innovative ways of trying to approach that golden thread of information or improve better in fire safety or digital records or health and safety, et cetera, et cetera. And that was a two-part approach. We looked, we brought in experts or people who were in that space within industry to come in and almost do a debrief, data capture, and then we used that to really inform and shape the, the hackathon, which happened four months later in London at IET uh, HQ. So, yeah, it's it really, I really enjoyed, have enjoyed doing those those sort of events. And it's quite interesting when you when you organise that and, and push it out, the people who turn up aren't the usual people you'd expect to turn up. They're, they're the different different folk, <laughs> if that makes sense. They're not usual, the UK yeah, yeah, yeah. been crew sort of guys and girls who come along or 
um, it's it's a, di- it's a different sort of scene, and and it's it it sort of re- it sort of has validated that what if you know if we look beyond our sort of status quo or how as industry we have been on our BIM journey and who's been involved in that if you look beyond the, the borders and, and the frontiers and bring in other people are the people who are just operating and just you know they've got busy lives they're just doing their day jobs but can afford some time to do this as a one-off those people are the knowledge they have and the skill sets for me is, is where um when, when you sort of bring overlap those boundaries that's where the innovation comes out and it's not the people who you might think it is that mm. makes sense and what do you think of the that sort of hackathon model do you feel that those innovative ideas that come out of the hackathon continue or is it just sort of it lives for the event and maybe they could continue or maybe they don't. And I mean, it's one of the things John and I have been discussing a lot. It was a feeling that maybe those hackathons, they're good for the event, but then those ideas don't get taken further. Yeah, it's, feeling about that? It's, it, I agree. It's a, it's a real frustration of mine and something I've struggled with after these events where the people who have spent their time and put it there uh, knowledge and to come up with good solutions maybe slightly frustrated at the fact that it's difficult to carry that on and also for us who were organizing those events and facilitating them in our own time it, we don't have that ability to uh, as in a sort of full-time or funded context to take that forward and really develop that up into proper sort of solutions that that could really work exponentially um at an industry level our, our hope and, and and we were quite sincere on the idea of it being open that whatever was produced was for the greater good of the construction industry and what and uh, could happen expo- exponentially so yeah it's it's a hard thing to do to, to, to take it forward and to really um to make something of it and it, it does require proper resource time and funding What's interesting as I listened to, as as I listened to you and what what Ralph mentioned earlier was that um, AEC Hive have done a hackathon um, we called Swarm so it's like a hackathon type model. What we actually did was a very open ended event so people different people could come and you know work on various different aspects of the industry. We had people from or you know one person work, working on on a design system for a prefab um, modular pod. And then we had on um, managing safety files and it was, yeah, there was a whole combination of different things going on with, by the sounds of things, your journey, you started off where we were, you took the next step, which was working with the fire, I forget the name of the... Yeah, the the professional institutes, yep. Yeah, and... By the sounds of things, it was it was quite a bit more organised. You had your input data, you had the context, a very fixed context. You had almost sync for that innovation, which was the Fire Institute. And I'm wondering, do do you think that working closely with specialised groups focused on one aspect of the entire construction process, do you think that could be leveraged for anything more? And do you think that we could almost use that as an opportunity to bring the hackathon model as it stands today into something more where, you know, we can start projects and potentially further fund them and bring them to industry? There's a couple of things, isn't there? Even if something's produced and it's open, and I think it needs to be open. And there's, def- there's obviously a discussion around what is open. It, it, for me, it has to have exponential value beyond the project level, if that makes sense. You could you could do hackathons, which are more tech orientated. You might find in the tech industry, which are coming up with sort of quick win solutions that could help something deliver more efficiently, more better, more quicker on a project or support a process or or whatever. Yeah, I, I think yeah that, that's good. Um, but 
that there's a bigger prize to be won, I think, and that it would be great. And that's why we try, we did engage with the institutes as well, because there's still parts of our industry that need, they've become more digital in their thinking and their awareness and how, how they guess what they're putting out there is and um, how they're working. Um, but it's, 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 I guess it's all still quite siloed in my mind in that if industry were able to come together and, and c- come up with a solution, for example, the, the, you know, the, what happened at Grenfell and, and the Hackett report and what we tried to do at, at our hackathon with the IET. But if, if we were able to bring maybe a couple of those silos together, work collaboratively, and it's not just about but tech being an enabler to that, and it's it's finding a solution which works right across for the whole of industry, as opposed to maybe something a solution being more more bureaucratic, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or if it is bureaucratic, it, there's transparency that becomes part of that process through using technology or the solutions that come out of that. And I would like to see it more of as an initiative that's supported by a number of bodies and organisations that the outcomes of that are shared exponentially across the whole of industry. Because what we also found was that even some of the teams who might have had good solutions. They may work for an existing consultancy firm or contractor, and for them then to take that forward into a product per se, they would they either have to leave their job and do it themselves, or they have to then bring it back into the to the organisation they work for. And if they get by, and then it's, it's developed as their product or their solution. So I don't know if that answers your question, John, but it's yeah. It's, I think my vision is my hope would be that industry can come together. We, we, we're a very passionate industry. But we're also very protective and precious. Um, and, and I, I do believe now in where we are and even through the, the what's happened uh, with, with COVID and the lockdown, we, we, there is proof now that we, that technology does work better for us. And, but are we making it work better for us? And what I mean is, for example, speaking with, I've been nonstop on, on Teams meetings, uh, like a lot of other people here speak to. And so the technology is able to communicate a lot better and a lot more efficiently. But is it giving us more time to be more productive? That makes sense. So, so I guess what I'm getting at is that I think if we if we're looking at hackathons as a model and technology as a solution or enabler, it needs to it needs to have lots of different people coming into that to with a vision to to create a, a solution that achieves benefits and is of exponential value across industry, not just a fix. I think there's a fine balance, really, the sort of openness of a hackathon model, where you know people, it's a safe environment, and you you know you're not going to do any any harm to anybody or any project. And as you said, Ryan, you can you can get out of your day-to-day job for a weekend and you know just let let your mind open and come up with weird and wonderful ideas. But but then you know that then it has to become formalized somehow and systematic. Uh, yeah, that if you want those innovations to continue, it has they have to be managed and controlled and resourced and funded and yeah, because you can't just achieve great things, you know, over the weekend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there, there is some balance there that has to be be met, and, and maybe organisations that that have resources, um, you know, maybe organisations that have resources might um, support these hackathon events with the aim of then maybe taking those projects on board in a more formal way and taking them further. But uh, as somebody yeah. who's in looking at innovation and sort of being heavily involved in innovation, what excites you about the industry where it's at at the moment and what frustrates you? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think our industry has come a long way. If I reflect back to what we said at the outset of our conversation of where BIM was sort of eight or nine years ago, even what 
the definition of it was and where we are now. I think BIM has been of people have arguments of whether we achieve what we set out to do. Um, uh, I think that journey is still happening. It might be slightly refined or in a slightly different direction, but you never, when you start on a journey, you never, you might have an end goal, but it mightn't be the end point where you end up. But it's definitely brought us to a point where as new technologies evolve in other industries and other sectors, that we've been able to adopt and integrate those to find value within those and and, and how we can make our, our processes and our delivery mechanisms better and, and, and get benefits out of that. And I think if we, if we think of the setup in the UK at the moment, the UK BIM framework, which is the UK BIM Alliance and BSI and CDBB, I think that's as an umbrella, that's a great setup where we've got somebody like the CDBB looking at digital, at digital twins and the future and direction of where our industry is going. Um, but then at the other side, uh, on, on sort of the back end, we've got the UK BIM Alliance, which is an, an association with BSI looking at the standards and the guidance to support industry, not leaving industry behind, but bringing them on that journey as well. So I, th- I think where we've evolved in the shape of things now is, and, and the structure of that is, is really good and is really positive. So yeah, it's, it's an exciting time. I think that our industry is at a point where we can better embrace technology and, 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 and take some leadership around that. We need to be, and I know there's lots of discussions around this, around data and good structured information management per se, but I think we need to also look at some of the software or product offerings that exist out there at the moment and maybe look at those and how they could be better, evolve better to be more open. Obviously, as things move to the cloud, um, there's that, that opportunity to be able to connect Different, different data sets or databases or different systems together and, and allow information, um, to, to pass through so we can, you know, as, 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 as a, um, I guess as an industry or as even as a, as a sector can, can get benefits from that. Um, but I think there's still some work to be done around that. Um, there needs to be, uh, maybe another uh, sort of an evolution of what's on offer at the moment to, to allow that to happen. Um, so that we don't just move into, a cloud-based approach or working, and but we're still siloed. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So, I think if we can find ways of of unlocking that, you know, if you think of other sectors, there's like the IT sector, or whatever. You know, the companies have uh, R and D budgets for for their innovation, and uh, whereas you know, when you think of the AEC sector. You don't hear architectural companies or engineering companies or construction companies talking about R and D budgets. Not well, not often anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and but on the other hand, architects, engineers, and contractors are sort of ideally suited for innovation because they're solving problems all the time. You know, they're coming up with new solutions all the time. Hi guys. Uh, hi Ryan. Sorry about that. Yeah, no I went to auto lockdown, um, sleep mode yeah. on the okay. Um, yeah, did you want to go back over that again, uh, Ralph? Well, I was, I was just saying, based on what you were saying there, that the AEC sector doesn't seem to invest a lot of informal innovation, and yet architects, engineers, and contractors are continuously solving problems on projects all the time you know so you know as an industry the people operating in that industry are suited to to conduct formal innovation but you don't often hear of companies within the AEC sector having sort of formal R&D budgets so the innovation is happening it's probably happening at project level and uh, just in your experience 
either in the private sector where you worked before or now in the public sector, do you, do you see companies sort of having those discussions that we must dedicate a portion of our revenue to, to formal innovation and R&D or, or just let, let's see what happens? Yeah, it's, it's a tough question, isn't it? it and it's not something that's really, um, factored into project budgets as percentage of it being dedicated to R&D. Certainly within public sector, that's a challenge. I've, I've definitely seen it in the private sector, maybe against among some of the developers in, in London, you know, over the past number of years where they, they did invest in, in BIM in the early days to, to get some of those rewards. You, you do see it R&D and it has happened, you know, maybe within tier ones and within some of the bigger consultancy firms who have, have initially invested heavily on getting themselves up to speed and delivering BIM per se, then realising it's more about digital transformation even within their own organisations and the, the benefits they can achieve through through that way of working and investing in that context. And I get that I, that's great, you know, and it keeps them, I guess, afoot and ahead of their position of, of against other competitors in, in the industry as well. But beyond that, yeah, um, there's, as I said, there's been lots of good, there's maybe a topic close to your heart, John, as well, around CDEs and the like, um, and other, other platforms that are capturing data at the moment and are, are holding them and with, with sort of functionality in terms of tools or not, which, which clients can use. It's, where, where are those going to go in the, in the longer term? You know, um, cause in, in fact, clients could still be essentially trapped perhaps in those, um, or, or maybe siloed to some extent. And it's looking beyond at a, at a sector level, you know, how, how can the data that we produce along the way be stored and accessible in such a way um, that a, a wider range of stakeholders uh, throughout the life cycle can engage and contribute to that? Cloud-based technologies and interactivity is 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 the obvious route to that, but it's what is the interfaces? Do we do we, do we have lots of solutions that are cloud-based but are still locked in, if that makes sense? Or do we do we look at it flip sort of flip it inside out a bit and we have cloud-based arenas that are full of project and sector information that's con- managed by clients or organizations per se and and you interact through tools into that um depending on who you are as a stakeholder that, that's how i sort of see things or it should be evolving because clients certainly within the public sector even within the first year of of sft there's some real challenges there clients have real issues about one procuring technology the right technology and but then that technology being suitable for more than just one function and it, it they need i think they need solutions that is more broader and extends beyond the point of handover of of, of their buildings especially if we start to look at digital twins and all that sort of good stuff and um where does that information exist beyond the point of handover and, and clients are becoming more aware that they need to be front end in terms of how they specify information and having ownership of that and managing that particularly as we've seen what's come out of the hackett report um, and, and their responsibilities and keeping records of, of their assets for the whole life cycle. So, yeah, in terms of innovation, I think that's a bit of an untapped space at the moment. And it's, it's something that could be, I'd like to see how that evolves. Yeah. Like in, in, in Ireland, for instance, on public procurement, we, we have a policy of uh, 1%, 1% of the project budget goes to art. So included in public sector projects, there'll be some artwork or, you know, so it'd be good, it'd be great if we develop policy around innovation that maybe a percentage of the project budget is dedicated to R&D work that can be developed. And as you said earlier, uh, maybe developed within a project team environment, but shared across um, 
or back to the broader industry. Yeah, I agree. That'd be a good idea. It's a good idea. We probably uh, need some government policy on innovation. <laughs> well, I, I, as I said, I think I think it's my my work within SFT. What why I enjoy uh, what I do within SFT is, is 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 really to help clients get on that journey in terms of information management, as opposed to clients being outside the arena but being more centre in the arena and knowing what they want and why they need it, and it's specific to whatever their strategic objectives are, whether it's at an organizational level, it could be to do with performance or energy or whatever, but also benefits that are specific for that project and the users. And it's not just about a post-occupancy evaluation report, an O&M manual that's really not fit for purpose. It's knowing at the start why you're doing something, how the data and information that you're getting can validate that and um, the data that's captured after the point of handover either reinforces that your strategic objectives are still aligned or you change either that or you change the way the building operates or an adaptation of that. And, and that, that data exponentially can be used right across a whole sector for as lessons learned or to improve how you do something the next time around. I just think that transparency doesn't, it's very difficult at the moment. And a lot of us to do with, it's not that there's a, a want there, uh, there is a want there, but it's just, it's, it's how do you unlock that? So it's part of the process. So it's not an extra thing to do. It's not a difficult thing to do. It's just naturally what comes out of the process. I think we're, you know, not just, yeah, well, clients not need hand held, but they need some support and that. And, and there, I mean, there's good work going on at the moment around mm. ISO and the guidance and everything like that to 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 see that. But it's it's, it's another level beyond that for those who are not very technical. How, how it's, it's it's also about communication and how they know what they want, but they just need given something to just achieve that, as opposed to having to have a technical understanding of of the intricacies of it, of, of how they go about it, whether it's process or data structures or data file formats, et cetera, et cetera. We've come to the hour. And um, John, did you have any final questions or remarks? Um, none that's going to fit within this hour anyway. Um, we might leave it at that. Just uh, like to thank Ryan for coming on as well on, on behalf of myself and AC Hive and I'm sure the community will be really delighted to hear hear from you and I was wondering if anyone wants to reach out to you, what would be the best place for, for them to do so, Ryan? I'm on Twitter but not on Twitter, <laughs> um, if that makes sense, and probably LinkedIn is a good, good way in. I'll put the links in the description. Much appreciated. From my side, Ryan... I just wanted to say thanks as well. It was excellent. You've had a fantastic journey and a career, and uh, and the work you're doing is sounds amazing. And um, we obviously like to stay in touch, keep in touch with what you're doing, both at SFT, but also through your your Hack Construct group, and keep the conversation about innovation going. Yeah, definitely. And, and what you guys are doing, big supporter of that. And if there's, as we've already talked about, just how we can maybe. I can maybe support that going forward as well. I'm keen to, to carry that discussion on with you as well. We need to keep talking. I'm sure we'll be talking again and appreciate your time and your input to the to the podcast.